Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au Well, this morning it's a privilege to have our uh, homegrown David Cardillo is going to preach to us today the Word of God. Um, he takes care of the youth and the young adults, and it's a joy to have him here because um, it's amazing. No one wants that job, okay? No one wants that job. Everybody's sort of saying it's too hard, but he does it wonderfully. He's so faithful and does such a connection with them that it's amazing. And uh, the Lord will bless him, and he's going to bless us through him. So open up your ears and your hearts ready for God's Word. Thank you, David. Give him a warm welcome as he comes. Good morning, church. I feel a little bit bad for Pastor Joseph. I played a little prank on him yesterday after the Crows game. I gave him a call and pretended to be sick. I said, I've tested positive for COVID. I can't preach tomorrow. He kind of knows my character. He goes, I'm calling your bluff. <laughs> well, it is so good to be here this morning, share the word of God. And I won't lie, I'm not sure if I want to thank Pastor Joe for the or kill him. I'm definitely leading one way, but after the service, see what happens. Um, so this morning, I actually want to uh, share on the topic of shame. And my title for this sermon is called No More Shame. And I've watched a couple of sermons, I've read a couple of books, which I hopefully, um, which I'll talk about throughout my sermon, you can go back to and further investigate. Um, but there's a story in the Bible which I, which I personally think actually speaks to me about shame. And I want you to get your Bibles, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 5. And we're going to be reading from verse 25 to 32. Spoke to Pastor Joe during the week and passes his greetings. His new voice sounds amazing. I heard rumors he asked he wants to start worship leading. <laughs> verse 25. It starts off like this. And a woman was, was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touched his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, the disciples answered. And yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for this time where we can come into your holy church and your holy ground where your presence is and I just pray right now this is a place of safety. And as we talk about the topic of shame, Father, there might be things that pop up, incidences, emotions, past thoughts or past things we've done. I just pray, God, you're not the God that condemns us, but you're a God that redeems us, that restores us, that heals us, that in your presence there's safety, Lord God. So I just thank you, Holy Spirit, that it's not me that's talking, that it's your word. 
And I just confess every sin. I confess my motives. I confess anything that will hinder your word. We are free because of the blood of Jesus. And I just pray where your presence is, there's freedom and liberty. So today, as I speak, Lord God, as you speak, let people be healed and restored and let your name be glorified. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. 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 So before we begin this morning, I actually want to share a little story behind this photo. If you who are watching online, you can't see the photo. It's actually a garbage truck and my son Ezra behind or in front of the garbage truck. A little while ago, um, it was during the school holidays. Um, my kids love garbage trucks, by obsessed with garbage trucks completely obsessed. They love it. They watch it all the time. It was in the school holidays. Both my kids were outside waiting. I was with them. And then my kids had this crazy idea. Let's go chasing the garbage truck. Let's run after it. Now, I'm not the fittest person, but you've got to understand when you have two kids under five, when they want to run and use all their energy, you just do it. You follow it. It doesn't matter. So we started running after the garbage truck but unfortunately, my little son, Micah, who was, I think, three and a half or four at the time, um, got really tired and said, I want to go home. So Ezra wants to keep running. Micah wants to go home. It wasn't too far from him, so I quickly grabbed Micah. I sprinted home. I dropped him from at home and then went to follow Ezra and chase the garbage trucks for the next 35 minutes. <laughs> when I got home, Seth said to me, who's my wife, said, can I just have a quick chat with you? Now, I've been married for 12 years and I've kind, I kind of realised when your wife says, can I have a quick chat with you, it means you're in trouble. It means you're in big trouble. And she said, I had this stranger come and knock on my door and ask me this really weird question. She said, is that little child in your house belong to you? And she thought, what are you talking about? What's going on? See, what had happened was, purely my fault here, what had happened was, when I dropped off Micah, we actually have a door that kind of separates the living room and the house. So I dropped him off. I sh the door was shut. And I said, Steph, I'm, I'm dropping Micah off. Unfortunately, she didn't hear me say that. And because of my panic and just because my wife's a lot better than me, I forgot to lock the door behind me. And Micah decided, you know what? I'm going to change my mind and I'm going to go looking for garbage trucks with Dad and Ezra. So he decided to walk out the house unsupervised by himself, walked up the road, a little around the corner from the road, and when he realised he couldn't find us, he decided to walk back. And you need to understand, I work in child protection, I'm a pet, and when Steph told me my heart skipped a couple of beats, I felt terrible. And the first thought that came to my mind wasn't that I made a parenting mistake, it was, I am a bad parent. You see, there's a big difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is action-based, but shame is identity-based. Guilt says, I did something bad, but shame says, you are bad. Guilt says, I made a mistake, but shame says, you are a mistake. We feel guilty for what we did, but shame, we feel shame for who we are. Now, guilt is not necessarily a bad thing. Guilt is a good thing. Guilt um, helps us have remorse and repair relationships and actually makes our relationships become stronger. It's not a bad thing. But shame goes to a deeper level. It goes to another level where the actions actually affect the core person of who you are. It stains, it muds, it devalues your worth, your identity, and how you see yourself. 
Brittany Brown, um, who's a research professor, and she's a subject expert matter on the topic of shame, says this. Shame is the intensive, painful feeling of the end experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. It's something that we've experienced, something we've done or failed to do, and it makes us unworthy of connection. You see, one of the tricks the devil regularly plays in our lives is he tries to connect our do's with our who's. He doesn't just say, you're, you sinned, but he says, you're a sinner. He doesn't say, you, you cheat. He says, you're a cheater. That you're not just, you didn't just make a mistake, but you are a mistake. That you didn't just fail, but you're a failure. You're a failure as a parent. You're a failure as a friend. You're a failure as a husband. You're a failure as a Christian. You are a failure. And at the core of it, it makes you feel flawed. It makes you feel unworthy. And you never, ever feel like you're good enough. And I wondered this morning if some of these thoughts and emotions relate to you, because they definitely relate to me at times. I believe if there's a weapon that the enemy uses against us, against his people, against you and I this morning, it's the weapon of shame. He uses the weapon of shame to keep you in this emotional turmoil where you constantly criticise and you hate yourself. You, you feel like you're a prisoner of your mind and your thoughts, and no matter what you do, your thoughts just dictate what you, what you see and what you feel about yourself. You feel trapped. He uses the weapon of shame to destroy your confidence and your outlook in life that doesn't just affect how you deal with relationships and how you have relationships, but it affects your outlook in life and how you do life. He uses the weapon of shame to trap you to your past, to trap you to your mistakes where, where you never experience the forgiveness or the goodness or freedom of God. And no matter what you do, no matter what you achieve, it's never enough for you to feel vindicated or redeemed from your past. It's never enough for you to feel fully accepted, loved and comfortable with who you are. You feel like you always need to put on a mask or put on some performance because if people really knew what you did at home or people really knew who you were, you would be rejected and you'd feel ashamed and you wouldn't feel right and you wouldn't be able to serve and the list goes on and on and on. I believe the story of the bloody woman perfectly illustrates this. You see, back in the Old Testament times, when a lady had a monthly cycle, according to the Jewish law, she was ceremonially unclean. This meant she wasn't allowed in church or community settings where people could talk with her, engage with her or pray with her. She couldn't hang out with friends or family. She could never be hugged or kissed. And anything or anyone who touched her would also become unclean. I want you to think about it. For 12 long years, she was living with this condition, isolated. You know, I, I had COVID at the beginning of the year and I had to isolate for one, one week and I struggled I was dying after one week. She was living with this for 12 years. Imagine the thoughts going into her mind. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. She was constantly reminded that she's different to the others. That she's isolated. That she doesn't fit in. That she's childless. She's infertile. She has no purpose. That she's an outcast. That she's good for nothing. She feels so unworthy, so unwanted to the point that she doesn't even have a name in the Bible. She's referred to the lady with the bleeding. She's completely forgotten. What does shame do in our lives? It erodes and destroys your value and identity. See, the enemy was using the shame, the weapon of shame to connect her dues, the bleeding, 
with a who's and outcast, to keep her in a place of misery, to keep her in a place of shame and to destroy her future. And that's the purpose of shame, is to keep her in a place of pain. Shame is like everything else. Live with it long enough, it just becomes part of the furniture. It just becomes who you are. Edward T. Welch, who's written a book called Shame Interrupted, says this, Shame is life-dominating and stubborn. Once entrenched in your heart and mind, it's a squatter that refuses to leave. It's a squatter that refuses. It just stays with you. It refuses to leave. Some of you have come to church this morning. You know exactly how this bleeding lady is feeling. You can relate to her story. This is your story. And like this lady, you've experienced the negative and damaging emotions of shame and refuses to leave your life. You felt the shame as a result of something that's happened to you. Maybe, maybe you grew up in a, in, in, a, in, a, in a household as a child where it just felt you could never please your parents. It was cold. Or maybe you got compared to your siblings and the expectations were too high. And deep down, you never felt like you were good enough. Maybe, maybe you're split from an intimate relationship. Or maybe you've, had a, you've experienced a broken marriage. And deep down, there's this voice that says, you're a failure. Maybe it was the circumstances that you surround yourself. Maybe it was the circumstances of church or your workplace, at home, or maybe with your friends. And people put shame on you. And because of that, you feel fundamentally something is not right with you, that something is wrong with you. For some of us, it's not necessarily what's happened to us, but it's the shame of something we've done. You can't seem to forgive yourself and you've you've been carrying the pain of regret for years. That mistake you did just keeps it playing in your head. Regardless of what type of shame you've experienced, you have this daily tape record that's constantly reminding you that you're worthless, that you're damaged goods and that you'll never, that you'll never recover, that this tape record is reminding you that you can never truly be yourself because if people knew you would be rejected, that they'll be disgusted with you. That you're not thin enough, you're not smart enough, you're not spiritual enough, that you're a failure, a disappointment, you're flawed. It's just who you are. And like this bleeding bleeding lady, shame has stained and eroded your self-esteem. It's eroded and stained how you see yourself to the point where you've also forgotten your name. You've lost your worth and identity. You don't know who you are anymore. The good news is this. Whoever you are this morning, no matter if it's your first time in church, you've been coming to church for 20 or 30 years, no matter what your background story is, I want you to know that God loves you, that He loves you, and that love is unconditional, that God's got a purpose and plan for your life, and there's nothing that you, can, that you have done, there's nothing that you can do that can separate you from the love of God. He loves you. It's unconditional. That you don't need to live a life of shame no more. Hebrews 12.2, I love this verse. It's been a verse I've been meditating for since Jesus says this, For the joy set before him, referring to Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. I love that verse. Jesus didn't forgive and now your sins and your mistakes to the cross, but he also took on the shame and the emotional baggage that comes from your mistakes and your failures. That through the amazing grace of God, you can break free from living under the cycle and the shadow of shame and you can walk now in God's freedom and goodness in your life. No longer you need to live behind a mask because God loves you and created you to be who you are this morning. He loves you for who you are. You don't need to put a performance. What, you know, shame says you need to hide, but God loves you for who you are. 
That your past doesn't have to define your future. The perfect antidote to shame is the unconditional love, grace and acceptance of Jesus. The truth is shame impacts us all. But it's how we deal with shame that determines the lasting impacts it has on our life. And I believe one of the ways we deal with shame is we actually go into hiding. We're going to cover up. When Adam and Eve first sinned, what did they do? The Bible said they hid from God. They ran away and hid from God. And what's funny is when God saw them, what was the next thing they did? They blamed each other, which is just another form of hiding. It's just a cover up. Because shame attacks our identity and focuses on our flaws, we will do anything and everything not to be exposed. We, d- we develop something called shame-based thinking, which helps us do a number of things to hide and cover our shame. And most of the time, we don't even know we're doing it. We don't even know we're doing it. So in the next five minutes, I actually just want to share quick, uh, three quick points about shame-based thinking and the symptoms of that. Um, so the first one is... Um, we become vulnerable to perfectionism. So one of the ways we deal with shame is we become vulnerable to perfectionism. Do you any perfectionists here this morning? Don't over the person next to you. Don't do it. It goes against shame. Don't do it. You see, we try to silence our shame with a perfect performance. If I look and do everything perfectly, I can avoid and I can minimise the painful feelings of judgment, pain and shame. It doesn't put me in that position where blame and judgment can come on my life. It takes our eyes away from our own inadequacies and the labels that people and that we've put on ourselves. We think to ourselves, I'll prove to myself and I'll prove to others that I am good enough, that I'm worthy. I'll prove it to everyone. The only problem is we live in a broken world with broken people so the perfection bar doesn't exist. And it's never enough in our eyes. You ask any perfectionist, if you ask, oh, tell me, how did you go? What's the first thing they'll do? They always go to the negative. And, and like I said before, because we live in a broken world of broken people, there's always someone out there who can do something a little bit better, who has something a little bit more. And so what happens is we're forever chasing this invisible bar. And when we don't reach it, guess what happens? It just reinforces the shame and the thought that I am not good enough. I failed. Perfectionism doesn't avoid shame. It's a function of shame. It actually fuels it. Research shows that perfectionism hinders achievements and is connected with anxiety, depression and addictions. That's why I think social media is terrible at times. Now, don't get me wrong, there's some really good aspects of social media. I love looking at the, dog, the, the animal pictures and the funny fails and all those great, hilarious videos. I think they're great. But if you think about the problem with social media is people are constantly putting up fake pictures or statuses which aren't even real. Pictures are altered, they're photoshopped, and even the statuses don't actually, um, don't actually illustrate what's actually really happening. People just put up their highlights. But what happens with us is we constantly see it and without thinking, we, com- we compare ourselves to it and it only makes us feel that we are failing. The second way shame impacts us and how we cover it is we become extremely critical. We become extremely critical of ourselves and as a result, we cover our pain by becoming critical of others. By shifting the shame from ourselves and criticising and blaming others, it means we don't have to confront what's really happening in our own lives. And that's why when you compare yourself to other people that are not doing so well, it kind of makes you feel better because you're not seeing what's actually happening in our own lives. 
Most of the time, the very thing we criticise in others is the very same thing we actually criticise in our own eyes. We hate about ourselves. It's sad because the truth is the most critical people are those who are dealing with the most shame. The people who are constantly criticising, or people are dealing with, you know, people who are constantly aggressive, or just, you know, just people that are just constantly, um, who are just constantly criticising others, are people who are dealing with the most hurt in their life. Shamed people shame others. The third way shame impacts us all, um, and what we could do to cover is we believe and use self-defeating thoughts to shield ourselves from rejection and disappointment. Uh, for 10 years, I worked as a senior social worker in child protection, and I worked closely with children who were in foster care. And one of the things I used to do is I used to um, transition a child into a new foster family, into a new foster home. And, um, you know, in the first few weeks when I did that, the placement and the kids were thriving. It was going really, really, really well. It's beautiful to see. But just after a little bit of time, um, and because of the trauma that the children have experienced and the abuse that children have experienced in their homes, the child develops a thought pattern, a core belief about themselves that says this, I am bad, I'm not good enough, and you know what, I'm going to get rejected again for who I am. So for that child to regain some control in their life, what they do is, and to shield themselves from hurt and disappointment, the child starts to self-sabotage their relationships. They start to self-sabotage their places because they say, you know what, before you reject me, I'm going to reject you because it's the only control I have. And it helps them shield themselves from being hurt. And you know what? We do the same. Because of shame, we sabotage our future opportunities. We lower our expectations so we don't experience disappointment because of the negative belief we have about ourselves. We don't serve. We don't um, step out of our comfort zone because of our negative and the shameful thoughts we have about ourselves. So we lower our expectations so we don't get hurt. For some of us, we sabotage our relationships as soon as they get tough because we don't want to experience the shame of being rejected. Or sometimes we don't want to experience the shame of saying, hey, you know what, I actually did something wrong. So it's better just to blame and deflect on other people. The truth is, the more we feed into our shame, pretend it's not, they'll try to cover up in our own efforts, either through perfectionism, becoming critical, believing self-defeating thoughts, the more shame dictates and can impacts and controls our life for the worst. Mark Back to this story, Mark chapter 5, verse 26 says this, She had spent all she had. She tried to manage a condition all on her own, all on her own strength. And the Bible says this, Yet instead of getting better, it grew worse. When you try to cover shame, it just grows worse. Um, Denise Pass, who's written the book, Shame Off You, fantastic book, recommend you read it, says this, Hiding shame does not heal it, it only makes it multiply. She further states that when we try to silence our shame without examining the root, we continue on the cycle of shame. The root of shame is bubbling away and will eventually surface. You know, if there's another person in the Bible who experienced shame, it was King David. You know, King David, God said to him, this is a guy after my, man, my, after my, own, my own heart. The expectations are high, yet he committed adultery, committed murder, he lied, he's got pride, he committed, he did everything the opposite of what God says about him. Imagine the shame on over his life. 
And he tries to hide it. He tries to cover it. And listen to what he says about when we hide our shame. This is Psalms 139, verse 2 to 3. And I've got this version from the New Century Version. I just like the way it's worded. It says this. When I kept silent, things to myself, when I tried to hide shame, when I tried to you know, have shame hidden in me, my bones grew old through my groaning. I felt weak, deep inside. I moaned all day. See, the thing about shame is you can look fine in the outside. You can do an appearance and you can put on a smile. You can fix your nice little Jesus halo. But deep inside, shame kills you from the inside out. There's a famous slogan in Alcoholics Anonymous that says this, we're only as sick as the secrets we keep. You see, the devil uses the lies of shame to intimidate us into silence to intimidate us into hiding. He does this because he wants us to be shackled in a cycle of shame because whatever stays hidden in the darkness grows in power. It makes you more sick. And that's the purpose of the enemy. He wants to steal, kill and destroy your life. He wants to intimidate you into silence, into shame because whatever stays hidden will grow and make you more sick. But this is what I've learned and continue to learn in my life and it's not easy. And it's really hard to do. While those who speak about their pain usually hurt, those who keep silent hurt even more. And we all do this, but denial, repressed emotions, appearance manager are all enemies of the healing process to shame. For 12 long years, shame made this lady with the bleeding live her life in isolation live her life hidden and she tried to manage it on her own and it got her nowhere. In fact, the Bible says it grew worse. So what does she do next? Mark chapter 5 verse 27, 28 says this, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the cave and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his cloak, I will be healed. And this is my point. The key to breaking shame in your life is by breaking the science of shame over your life. Let me say that again. The key to breaking shame in your life is by breaking the science of shame over your life. By her going in front of Jesus, by her going out in a group of people in public, she was making herself vulnerable. She was exposing her shame. She was acknowledging, hey, I'm in pain and I can't do this anymore. But I'm no longer going to be hidden to shame. No longer going to stay silent. I need help. And the truth is, you cannot change what you don't acknowledge. I stole that quote from Dr. Phil. I was at uni one time and I was just bored. So I put it on the TV and Dr. Phil said it. But you know what? It looks really wise, but he actually got it from the Bible. This is what the Bible says. Amazing. This is a living Bible version. He says this, Jeremiah 6.14. Stole it from the Bible. This is crazy. He says this, You can't heal wound by saying it's not there. Powerful. Powerful. Dr. Daniel Siegel, who's a psychiatrist and also a famous author, said this. He actually coined a famous phrase, which we all have heard before. It says this, if you can name it, you can tame it. And what better way to name and express your pain than being in the presence of Jesus? What better way where you can cry out? What better way you can acknowledge what's happening in your life but going in Jesus and going, this is what I'm going through. The Bible says, he saves who are crushed in spirit. I love that verse. verse uh, Psalms 147, verse 3. It's just a beautiful image. I love this verse. It says this, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. 
See, shame is, comes from a result of a, of a broken soul. It's a wound. And Jesus is saying, hey, I want to heal your broken heart. I want to heal your wound. And he says, he'll wrap it. It's just a beautiful nurturing verse about who God is. There's nothing better you can do than actually express and acknowledge, hey, God, this is what I'm going through. This is what I'm feeling. It's in the presence of Jesus where there's safety. And I wonder this morning, what wounds are you carrying here? How long has shame been making you hide for? How long has shame been making you carrying that heavy burden for? We all have wounds. We're all broken in some way. But it's what we do with those wounds. It's what we do with that shame that counts. And it's in the crying out to God out of the place of shame. Where it's where we get our victory from. Shame dies when we bring it to light and expose its roots. Jesus says in Matthew uh, verse, chapter 5, verse 4, and you can understand the whole chapter of the, around the context that Jesus talks about be attitudes. He's saying that these are certain attitudes you need to have if you want to live a blessed and happy life. And I love what he says here. One of the attitudes he's saying we should have is this. He says this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The Greek word for mourn is pantheo. Come on, can you say it with me? Say pantheo with me. Ready? One, two, three. Pantheo. We're learning a bit of Greek this morning. And it means to be on the outside what you are in the inside. What Jesus is saying is, if you want to be comforted, then it's time to be emotionally honest with yourself from the inside out. Because that's where healing begins. It begins when we are saying, hey, there's something that's not right. I'm feeling this way. Let's talk about it. Let's be open about it. It's by acknowledging what's actually happening. It's not hiding behind a charade. Then Jesus says, you'll be comforted. Patheo. The Bible says that after she acknowledges her pain by going and public where Jesus was, she then reached out and touched the robe of Jesus. Question is, why was touching the robe of Jesus so important? You know, there's lots of, things, lots of points you could probably pull out, um, get out of this. But for me, I believe this speaks about the importance and power of relationships. That healing isn't dependent on your own ability, but healing happens in the context of relationships. Because the truth is, if you, could be, if you could be healed on your own, you wouldn't be feeling what you're feeling right now. But healing happens in the context of relationships. The Bible says that she reached out. She had to depend on someone else. And I wonder, what does that look like for you? It might mean talking to a counsellor. You know, I've actually spoken to a counsellor outside church before a couple of times. It's just a great way of just talking about what's happening in your life without judgment, without shame. It's just about helping you identify what's going on. And there's a beautiful freedom in that. It might mean for you talking to a pastor. It might mean joining a life group and, and talking about and sharing what's happening. Something powerful happens when we confess to each other what's going on in our lives. And I want to prove to you, look at the results. Mark the, uh, chapter 5, verse 29 says this. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Powerful. Something powerful happens when we realize we're not meant to be doing life on our own, but meant to be doing life with people. Healing happens in the context of relationships. But the story doesn't stop here. And what happens next, I find most odd and so unusual, really weird. Verse 30 says this Jesus says, Who touched my clothes? What a weird question. The Bible says that everyone was pressing against Jesus. And the thing is, what that trips me up is, shouldn't Jesus already know this? 
Like, isn't this the same God that's all-knowing, all-powerful, the same God that created the heavens and the earth? Isn't this the same God the Bible says that knows the exact number of hairs on your head? Some of us, it's a bit easier for God, but still, create the heavens and the earth. That's still pretty powerful. That's still pretty good. Why would Jesus ask this question when he already knew the answer? I believe because Jesus wasn't done with her life yet. And although physical healing is really important, really, really good, there's a far greater and deeper pain that she was struggling with, which we all are struggling with, which, which we all need healing from. It's a healing from our soul. It's the healing of our broken soul. It's, it's the healing of those wounds that people have done to us or the wounds that we've done to ourselves. And because of that, we become a slave to shame and it dictates what we do and how we perceive things. And Jesus sees this pain in this woman's life and goes, you know what, I'm not done with you yet. And what happens next is one of my favourite moments in the whole Bible. It's just, it just, what happens next is just blows my mind and I just love the word of God for it. I want you to put your shoe, yourself in the shoes of this lady. The Bible says that she's petrified. She's terrified. I want you to think about it. You've been labelled with a disease that says you're not meant to be here. You don't belong. That you're dirty. Imagine being there. And, every, and she knows everyone's passing judgment onto herself. She knows herself she's passing judgment onto herself. You're unclean. You're unworthy. You're an outcast. And now you've just broken the law by touching someone else who was clean. And worse, you've stolen a miracle from Jesus and you didn't even ask. And now it's all laid out and exposed before Jesus and before everyone. All those judgment people. And listen to Jesus' first response to her. Verse 34, it says this. He says, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Did you notice the first word Jesus says to her? He didn't call her stranger. He didn't call her sinner. He didn't call her the bleeding lady like everyone else has. But the first thing he said to her and calls her is daughter. Did you know it's the only place in the entire gospel where Jesus refers to someone as daughter? It's found nowhere else. What was Jesus doing? He was removing her shame. He was removing the labels that people have put on herself by giving her new value, by giving her a new name, a new, a new identity. He calls her daughter. And then he says, now go in peace. The peace didn't come from just being physically healed. The peace came when Jesus removed the shame and gave her new value, a new identity. He calls her daughter. Tim Keller, uh, uh, Tim Keller says this, when reading this verse, you should probably read it as Jesus referring to her as sweetheart. Sweetheart. Jesus looks at this lady. Jesus looks at us today. He sees our brokenness. He sees the brokenness in this lady and says, I want to remove the pain of shame that you've carried for 12 long years that has robbed your joy. From this day forward, you're no longer going to be referred to as the childless, the infertile, the unclean, unholy, bleeding lady. From this day forward, you're no longer going to be referred to by your past and those things that have happened to you. No longer with those labels that people have put on you or the labels that we put on ourselves that says that you don't belong that you're not good enough, that you're insignificant, that you're a failure, that you're worthless. But starting today, starting right now, you're going to be referred to something new. I'm going to refer you to as my daughter, my sweetheart. That you are a child of God here this morning, that you are loved, that you are valued, that you are accepted, that you belong to God. 
In the name of Jesus, you are valued here. I believe this morning this is a word for someone here. I believe that this morning this is a word for someone who, who you've been coming in and you've been struggling with shame. And I want to tell you, you need to stop listening to the voice of shame that wants to isolate you. I want to tell you, you need to stop listening to the voice of shame that wants to imprison you. But you need to start listening to the voice of God. Because this morning, He's calling you a son. This morning, He's calling you a daughter of a living God. The King and Kings, Lord of Lords. You belong to Him. You see, one of the ways we can be healed and delivered from the pain and bondage of shame and those labels is this is to understand that your value and identity is not based on what others have said to you. It's not based on what others have done to you, but your value and your worth is based on who Jesus Christ says you are and what he's done for you on the cross. And when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you're no longer labelled by your past or your mistakes. You're no longer labelled what people have said or done to you. But the Bible says you're a brand new person in Christ Jesus, that you're, you have new value and new worth in Christ Jesus. I love 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed and see, the new has come. Come on, the old has passed and the new has come. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. Now, the other day I saw a painting. It was worth millions of dollars and it looked like my three-year-old could have done it or my five-year-old could have done it. Millions of dollars, just merch of paints. And God's saying, we are His masterpiece. He created you. He made you. And we're, we're value in Him. We're God's masterpiece. There's so much more worth than millions of dollars. And I love what He says. He goes, for we are God's masterpiece. And he says, we are, we, He has created us anew in Christ. We are new in Christ. You know, if there's another great example of this where God takes away the old and brings in the new, it's in the life of Peter. Peter was another person who struggled with shame. See, before he uh, met Jesus, his name was Simon. Now, the word Simon in the Hebrew means reed. Reed speaks of something that is weak, hollow, fragile, and easily manipulated. And if you think about it, this is exactly who who Simon was. You know, Simon was a person who was quick to say opinions. And he said, you know what, Jesus, I'll never deny you. I'll be the strongest for you. Yet he denies Jesus three times. In fact, he denies Jesus in front of a little girl, completely manipulated, afraid. He's got a pride issue. He's got an anger issue. He's cutting off people's ears. I just imagine, I just thought, well, what would Pastor Joe say if I start cutting people's ears off on a Friday night? <laughs> I'll probably go to prison now thinking about it. You know, Jesus even rebukes him at one stage rebukes him. And this is what I love. Even though Jesus already knew Simon's mistakes, he already knew Simon's pitfalls and all his failures beforehand. He knew it all beforehand. He knew what's going to happen. The first thing Jesus says to Simon when they first meet is he says this, we will no longer be called Simon, which means reed and weak. But from now on, you'll be called Peter, which means rock. I'm taking your shame away and I'm giving you a new identity. Rock speaks about stability, strength, not easily moved. And Peter went on to do amazing things for God. In fact, in the book of Acts, when the, when the Pentecost happened, there was a group of people and people saying, are these guys drunk? And what's happening with them? And at that stage, Peter could have, could have ran away, he could have hid, he could have done it. But the Bible says that he made a stand, he became the rock and he preached his very first sermon and 3,000 people got saved. The first church is birthed. Peter the rock, his new identity. While Peter was still a Simon, weak 
Jesus saw the potential in him and called it out of him. You see, shame will always call you by your sins. Shame will always call you by your mistakes. But God calls you by your name. God sees and calls the good in you, even though you can't see it in yourself because of shame. He's going to get the worship team to come and the, and the keys to come. You know, one of the things I, I personally struggle with at times is, is the actual thought of, I'm not good enough. You know, the last few years I've been working at, I do a day at church, work at work, I've got a wife and I've got kids and it feels like I'm constantly juggling multiple, you know, multiple balls and multiple hats and, and the thing is, sometimes when I feel like I'm doing really, really good at church and doing something powerful, I feel like I'm letting my wife and my kids down. And then at times when I feel like I'm being a great parent and a good dad and a great husband and I come to church and then there's a situation or I've let someone down or something hasn't gone right, then I feel like I'm failing at church. And I just, there's this constant thought, I just can't do it on my own. And there's this constant thought where I'm just failing at something. I'm just never truly good enough. And I was, there was this, um, reading a little bit about Paul in the Bible, he talks about how he's got a fawn in his flesh. And he talks about how um, you know, the things he wants to do, he, he, he can't do. And the things he doesn't want to do, he does. And he talks about how he just can't feel like he's good enough in his expectations. He doesn't know what to do. He just can't live up to being that Christian that everyone thinks he should be. And I love this verse because God says something to him because he can talks to God about it. I love what he says. And listen to what God says to him. He says this, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And it's when, if you feel like you're not good enough, this is the verse for you. It says this. This is what God says to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And this is my point. The only way we can be healed from shame is to move the focus from what I'm not but to who Christ is. You see, the deep root of shame is actually pride. It's all about me. And shame focuses on what you're not. And as long as you're focusing on what I'm not, shame will always control and dictate your life. You always will be vulnerable to shame. However, when I switch my focus onto who Christ is, the Bible says that His grace is sufficient enough. That on my own, I am rude at times. On my own, I can't please everyone. On my own, I will make mistakes. But the Bible says His grace is sufficient enough. That He stood in the gap of my shortcomings. That because of Christ, I am now made righteous in the sight of God. That because of Christ, I am whole. That I'm more than a conqueror. That I am healed. I am restored. Not because of mine, but because of the grace of God. He steps in. It's not what I am, but it's who Christ is. And the question I want to ask you this morning is, where has your focus been? Is your focus on what I'm not, on your past, on your mistakes, replaying that same incident over and over and over again? This morning, God is saying, I want you to switch your focus on, onto me, who I am, what I've done for you on the cross. The Bible says this, when we, uh, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ, I love that verse. We take every thought captive. We hold that thought and make it obedient to Christ. When the devil says, you're a sinner, you take captive that thought. You say, I am saved. I'm forgiven. I'm redeemed. I'm sanctified for the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm switching my focus not onto my past or who I'm not, but I'm switching my focus to who Christ is. I am saved and forgiven. 
When the devil reminds you of your past, that you've messed up, you don't belong, you remind him that in Christ I am chosen, that I'm a royal priesthood, I'm God's special possession, and I've been set apart for a time like this, that I am called. When the devil whispers, you're weak and you're not good enough, you shout back, you know what? It's true, I am not good enough. I am flawed. I make mistakes. And on my own, I am not good enough. But my Bible says that God's grace is sufficient sufficient for me and His power is made perfect in my weakness. It's no longer who I'm not, but it's about switching who Christ is and what He's done for me on the cross. I'm more than a conqueror. How am I healed from shame? It's when I take my focus on what I'm not and switch to my focus to who Christ is and what He's done for me on the cross. Some of you come to church this morning, you can relate to this bleeding lady. You can relate to the damaging emotions of shame that she experienced. The shame that has controlled and robbed your joy in your life. Holding on to shame is the glue that binds us to the situation that we want to escape. And as we take communion in a minute, it's a powerful reminder not to allow what has happened to you or your past to be bigger what Jesus Christ has done for you. That through the cross, we can break free from the cycle of shame and live a life of freedom, live a life of joy, live the life that God has called you to live and be the person that God has called you to be. That your new identity in Christ far outweighs your past. It's time to make a stand and say, no more shame. shame. It's time to stand up and say, no more shame. That the same Jesus that healed that bleeding lady over 2,000 years ago is the same Jesus that wants to heal you here this morning. Devil says, shame on you. But God says, shame off you in the name of Jesus. Let it be in the name of Jesus. And before I pray, I'm going to read just one last verse and I pray this verse will be a declaration and it will be a faith over your life that this will break the cycle of shame you will hang on to this verse and this is going to be my prayer Isaiah 54 verse 4 says this Fear not you will no longer live in shame don't be afraid there is no more disgrace for you you will no longer remember the shame of your youth Amen and Amen Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, for this time. I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you, God, that when you look at us, you don't see our mistakes. You don't see our pitfalls. You don't see the things that that devalue us, Lord God. But you're the God that redeems. You're the God that forgives. You're the God that sets us free. And we love, Lord God, that you call us son and daughter. That we're no longer labelled to the things that have happened to us. We're no longer labelled by the labels that people put on us. But we are free in your presence. That you are a good God. As we're in this uh, time of uh, prayer, this morning maybe you've come to church and maybe you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. And you're thinking, you know what, I've got this shame and I've got this thing and and I need to be redeemed and... And you know, one of the things you can actually do, the Bible says that when you give your life to Jesus, He says you become a brand new person. That you're no longer need to live by your past, but you are free. That God doesn't just want you to become religious, but He actually wants a relationship with you. And if that's you this morning, if you've never ever given your life to Jesus, I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm just going to ask you to just to put your hand up to say, you know what? I want to give my life to Jesus. If that's you this morning, I just want you to raise your hand. I'm just going to pray with you. If that's you. If anyone here, if no one said that's fine. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Is anyone here this morning? 
Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Praise God. You're a good God. You're an awesome God. We just repeat after me. Father God, we love you. I give you my life. I confess that you're my Lord and Saviour. That you've forgiven me for all of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. Be the Saviour of my life. I give my life to you. And let my life honour you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. At this time, we're going to have communion. We're going to ask the brethren to come forward.